Barbara's podcast. Today we have an excellent guest, Mr. Jason Singer, who uh, was referred to me by Tim Kaufman. So you know where this is probably going to go, back with uh, some amazing people who have done some amazing transformations in their life with eating plants and just taking a different mindset. How are you today, Jason? Good. How are you? Good. And thank you for taking time out of your day to uh, let me interview you and share your story with my listeners. Well, thank you for doing this. This is pretty profound. I'm a little overwhelmed. Don't be overwhelmed. I'm a pretty much everyday person. Like, you know, just I just love talking to people. I consider the podcast kind of my selfish way of meeting really cool people. So, Right. <laughs> well, tell me a little bit about your story for those who aren't familiar with you. And uh, it's a pretty incredible one as well. So just kind of start from the beginning and we'll go from there. Okay, so I'm Jason. I'm 30 years old. I decided in June 2014 to lose weight and lost 193 pounds. I guess my story starts more first grade because in first grade I was diagnosed with ADD and I was put on Ritalin, which I refer to as pretty much legal methamphetamine or any type of appetite-killing narcotic, really. So for the subsequent 13 years, 12 years, I was on Ritalin and had no appetite. And as soon as I graduated high school, I went off the medicine and in the first year gained like 60 pounds. And I attribute that to just my body having been deprived for so long of fats and sugars and carbs and just everything it was just holding on to everything that, that I was feeding it. And during that, I graduated in 2004, and during that time of gaining weight, I acquired a food addiction. And then in 2006, I broke my ankle and needed surgery to have a plate and five pins put in my leg. And that time was probably the time where I went from, like, being fat in a way that I could probably have controlled it to totally going in the direction of morbid obesity because I was hung up for about four months not being able to walk. And so I just did a lot of watching movies, sitting still, and eating food. And I, I imagine looking back on it, 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 it's like a movie in that I went down into my parents' basement, uh, I don't know, 200 pounds and came out four months later at 300 and whatever pounds might have been like 320 pounds well you emailed and then it that, said 373 that's what you emailed yeah that was yep. the heaviest wow yeah yep so tell us about what you describe as food addiction can you describe that for us because you know i work with food addicts every single day and it's i think it's an underrecognized issue um i think food addiction is like any other addiction, like, for example, my, my one telltale sign of food addiction is if you go to a gathering, like, a, let's just say a Thanksgiving or something, and there's the spread of food, and you're, you're in line, or however you, your family decides to get food, and you're mentally anxious about, is there going to be enough for me? Like, by the time I get up there, will there be enough? You're sneaking foods because you know you shouldn't be... You know, you're hiding foods from your spouse, you're staying up later, or you're making sure, like, you're setting a biological alarm clock to wake up at a certain time in the middle of the night to make sure that you can eat some sugary food. I mean, it's it's 
heavier than than just liking food because a lot of people just think I like food, but that could be addiction. You know, the sugars, the um, I I had to have been eating five thousand calories a day, mm-hmm. maybe drinking like twelve hundred calories a day. I don't really know how to describe it other than like always wanting it, always needing it, every morning being sick on the toilet, pardon my, pardon me, but um, just being sick and still saying to yourself, I know I shouldn't be doing this, but you continue the behavior anyway. To me, that's a telltale sign of addiction. When you know it's wrong and you know that it's going to really cause problems in the future, but you're doing it anyway. That That's actually the definite, the, psychological definition of addiction is when your behavior continues despite you knowing that this is harmful for your health regardless of the sub you know the substance but you had mentioned also that you were you know besides the ritalin which set you up i think for addiction because you know we're giving these really powerful drugs to kids instead of focusing maybe working on their diet then you said there was alcohol and other things involved can you share a little bit of that yeah, I mean, of course, when I turned 21, I started drinking alcohol pretty heavily, and then alcohol became – I don't ever call myself an alcoholic, ever. I've never I've never looked at it like that because I always had a perception of alcoholism as, like, you drink every day and you can function drunk, and that wasn't me. I was more of, like, a binge drinker on the weekends – um, ended up getting into some drugs, didn't really ever have any problems with it, just reckless, aimless life with no direction. And, I mean, this will come later, but I actually attribute my um, veganism to quitting drinking. It's been on over four years now since I've drank alcohol or have done anything. So. Okay. So then go ahead and continue. So you said you... you- you descended into the basement and then you emerged this completely different person that was morbidly obese with lots of health issues. Can you tell us a little bit about that and then how your story progressed from there? Well, yeah, I didn't really have any diagnosed health issues because, because I knew that I was in a bad way. I never really went to the doctor because I didn't want to hear what they'd have to say. So um, I did have chest pains, of course, when I was 27, I ended up being told that I should be on blood pressure medication. So that was a little scary for me. Um, I c- could have been pre-diabetic. I could have been diabetic. I have no clue. I never went to have any of it. I didn't want to go into the medical mafia. Because I, I, there was stuff that I, I knew about governments and tyranny and scientific dictatorships and medical mafia and all of that, that conspiracy theory stuff long before I knew about veganism. So I didn't really want to get into the doctor realm. Um, And then it was just years, so 21, all the way up until, I mean, I was working as a machine operator, gaining weight, gaining weight. There were a couple times during the last nine years of my obesity where I did try losing weight, special K, you know, um, skim milk, all the little nuances, the things that don't really mean much. And, I mean, I guess I could – there's really not much in that other than me just living aimlessly, having no direction, eating tons of food. And and by tons of food, I mean, like, I was eating Pop-Tarts, butterscotch crimpets, 
all the sweet pastry, bready. I loved bread. Bread was my business. Um, pizza, burgers, cheeseburger subs were my, I mean, I ate the heaviest. I mean, it wasn't like my daily diet was bad. It's every meal was about as worse and as bad as you could ever think of. And then chocolate milk was my baby. So, yeah. Um, in 2014, June, my, my grandfather has a hunting cabin. And every twice a year they do float trips, which is where him and his friends, my dad, my uncles, all the guys of the family will congregate at the cabin on a Thursday, stay till Sunday. But on Saturday, they float down the Juniata River to catch fish. And there was twice that I went just to go because I've never hunted. I did fish when I was a kid, but it's so boring so pointless to me. I never was into sports. I was never into hunting. So was ne- none of that was ever important to me. But I went to the cabin in June, and I went there on a Thursday, and that's before, like, all of the food would arrive, you know, because everyone brings their own dishes and stuffs the fridge, and then everyone eats that. And so the only thing that they had there to eat were hot dogs. And, of course, like, those snack bags of party mix, pretzels, Cheetos, chips, whatever. And so being 370 pounds for breakfast Friday morning, I had hot dogs. And then for lunch, I had hot dogs. And then for dinner, I had hot dogs. And then I woke up Saturday morning. And mind you, every morning of my life that I can remember for the last nine years was sickness like dealing with like getting it out. So it would be maybe like a couple hours in the bathroom every single morning for years. And just like anything else, something becomes habitual. It becomes normalcy. And then once it's normalcy, you don't really acknowledge it as an issue. So it wasn't a problem. But this morning after the hot dogs was particularly bad. It was the roughest. And I was like, I'm done. I'm done. For whatever reason, I said that day, I'm done. I got in my car, didn't say a word to anybody. I drove home, about an hour and 40-minute drive. And the whole time, I'm just like Tony Robbins, incantations in my head. No more. You're done doing this. You're done doing this. You're done doing this. You're not going to be fat anymore. No more fatness. No, no, you're done. You're done. And so I, I really don't know what happened next. I don't know if I came home and researched online how to lose weight, best ways to lose weight. But I came across the China study. That's where my whole veganism journey starts with the China study, which is pretty rad because after meeting a lot of people, that came so much later for some folks. And I'm glad to have had that as my my pillar. So anyway, I read the China study, and at the end it says – your recommended – and I love that they they put it this way. Your daily recommended – amount of cholesterol is zero milligrams. So I get on Google and I'm like, where do you find cholesterol? I discover that it's only found in animal products. So no animal products. And because, like I said, of what I knew before about industry and government and control, I'd already known about like the bliss points of processed foods and, and how they're designed to make us addicted. So I cut that out as well. So there was no processed food. If I wanted bread, I made bread with yeast, flour, salt, and water. Um, 
anything that I wanted, I would have to do myself, tomato sauces. I just didn't want to do anything processed. And um, I'll tell you this, reading the stories through the China study of people reversing disease through plant-based diet had my jaw on the floor. At 370 pounds, I'm sitting there reading this like, really? People had cancer, now they don't. People had heart disease, now they don't. People had diabetes, now they don't. And I'm like, well, it's got, if it's working for them, it has to work for me, right? Like, it has to do something for me. So uh, when I talk to meat eaters, like, I try to inspire a lot of people in my daily life. I tell them the same thing, the whole reversal of disease, and they just, they're like, and I'm like, no, that should, like, be blood, like, even to the most staunch hunter, man's man, meat-eating carnivore, self-proclaimed, of course, that should make your jaw hit the floor. Like, some of these people go for a couple months on a plant-based diet and reverse their diabetes. So, Oh, I've seen it in days. Within yeah. days. <laughs> yeah, it's... it's it, you know, I have the same feeling when I share this with colleagues that are physicians that have access to sick people every single day and the amount of good and healing that could come from them just sharing a simple message or even just referring them to me when I was doing regular family medicine. And um, it astounded me. It absolutely astounded me. You could say, here's the science, here's my patients, this is what they're doing. And some of them don't. But you know what? They deal with their own food addiction. And there, ha- there has yep. to come a point that they're ready. But at least you're you're leaving that message, and there will be that, that little thought in the back of their head at some point. If they Always. Yeah, so the it's good. Conscious is picking everything up. That's what I, I know. So, you know, your conscious might not be acting on it, but your subconscious is holding it. And it might come later. Mm-hmm. So Very all you can do is spread the word. So how did you start? Like you, you cleaned out your fridge and everything in the house and – I was actually, I was dating a, a girl at the time. We were together for three years total. At this point, we were probably together for maybe a year and a half. And my memory of it is basically like putting down the China study, looking at her and saying, we're done eating animal food and there's no more processed food. And I, I honestly, I looked at her and I said, we have to get all the animal products out of the house, and we have to get all the processed food out of the house. There's chips, the animal crackers, all of it has to go. And if it doesn't, then we need, we need to separate, and I'll go home and live with my parents, and you can go live wherever. Because it was like, I don't know. What I wish that I could bottle and sell or give to people is whatever got into me that made me just – like there wasn't anything stopping me because I, I act on rationale and logic. So if I have new evidence, you know, tons of evidence, I'm changing my behavior based on that. And this was like mounting, mounting evidence. Mm-hmm. I mean, 20 studies, all like Esselstyn, all those heroes. I mean, it's hard to argue with. There's no, just like when I talk to my brother, he's a very logical person and he'll say, his response is always, dude, it's impossible to argue with everything you're saying. It's like he acknowledges that veganism and plant-based diet is it's sound. It's logically sound. Mm-hmm. But addiction. But he doesn't change so it. I, Does he, did he change like it? Did he change I mean, he stopped, he stopped eating some processed foods, but okay. not much. See, my, my view of quality of life is 
being 30 and being able to skate with 15 year olds skateboard i skateboard every day um quality of life to me is 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 being young feeling young despite your age you're only 30. And quality <laughs> quality of life to some people is um a steak right like right my dad said you know i don't want to sacrifice my quality of life for my health, I guess is what he's saying. When health is your quality of life, it's just people's views are distorted. Yeah. So yeah, I clean the kitchen, clean the the refrigerator, and I had a friend at the time who was a personal trainer and worked at a gym called Snap Fitness, and I hit him up and I said, "Hey, do you mind if I work out at your gym?" And he said, "Yeah, as long as I'm in there training someone, you can come in for free and work out." And I'm like, "Cool." So. I started working out, and I guess, okay, to answer your question from earlier, the most important thing that I want people to understand is just like food is a medicine, so is exercise. A body in motion will stay in motion no matter what. And the more motion your body's in, the more it will feel bad if you take it out of that motion, thus fueling your motivation to stay active. I feel like when I tell people, they say, how long did it take you to lose the weight? And I'll say this, 11 months for 163 pounds. And everyone says, wow, that's really amazing. How did you do it so fast? And I said, because every day, seven days a week for 11 months, I worked out hard. I went to the gym in the morning. I would run like a mile in the morning or jog, walk. Whatever my body would allow, maybe run a couple yards and then get tired and walk a couple yards. So I would do a mile, and then I would come home, and I would do, like, squats with weights in the hands, and then my arms all the way up. I would do calf raises. I would do push-ups on the stairs because they were still way too difficult for me to do on the ground because I was too big to lift my own weight. Um, Sit-ups. What else was I doing? Leg lifts for lower ab works and just the hip flexors and I did that every morning and then um, in the afternoon or the evenings I would go to Lake Redmond in York Pennsylvania and hike about three miles to five miles and then I would come home and eat a dinner which would consist of like rice the stuff I was eating at the beginning was so simple it was just would be a bed of rice with sauteed veggies with no oil, of course, like onions and peppers and mushrooms, broccoli, just really, really simple. And then at night I would do the same routine that I did in the morning, which would only take like 20 minutes. So I told people like sacrifice maybe three hours, three and a half hours total of your every day and you can do what I did. But I also... And this might not be medically sound, so I forgive anybody who's watching this. I did restrict my caloric intake for quite some time. Just because, like Joe Cross from Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead says, like, you have all this fuel, this stored fat is fuel, it's energy. And just like a car, you're not going to keep filling the tank or else it'll overflow. you got to burn the fuel that's in the car first. So... I, I, I don't say starving because I was, I mean, to be able to do that on 600 calories a day, to be able to do the three to five mile hike, the morning routine and the evening routine, 
I would say 600 calories a day for maybe the first six weeks. Mm -hmm. And then I went up to more like not really concerning myself with caloric intake, but looking back, it probably would have had to have been around 1200. And then it was to the point where I got, I ended up being so active. I could just eat whatever I wanted, which was plant food, but however much of it that I wanted and not have to worry about anything. Mm. But I think that, you know, when I moved to Ohio three months ago for about four months to, to work with a woman named Beth Pereira, who's a Food for Life instructor, and I became exposed to a lot of just plant-based doctors and the plant-based lifestyle, and I feel like exercise is never talked about. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's impossible. Like, you will reach a terminal weight loss where plants will only get you so far. Plant-based veganism, as far as weight loss goes, it will only bring your weight down so far until you're like, man, it's really hard. What am I doing wrong? Well, you're not exercising. And I feel like it's 50-50. Now, for the health aspect of it, for the health, like the inner workings, the physiological makeup of the body and the brain and the omega-3s and all of that stuff, absolutely. The health aspect has way more to do with food than anything else. But losing weight... I mean, when you're telling people, I mean, the majority of people who are interested in going plant-based are overweight, mm-hmm. in my experience, because people that are think, generally think they're healthy. Yeah, well, yeah, until something happens. So, yeah, most the majority of people are overweight that um, end up changing their diet. I, I change it just because of patients that got better after diet. <laughs> so um, I was like, okay, we're done. So I went home and changed everybody, including three teenagers and my husband. So my husband lost 65 pounds, first 50 in three months. So um, pretty amazing. Um, my kids are all grown up now, but it, it's, it's, it's very true. Exercise is very important. We use that a lot with our clinic and our patients, have personal trainer and work with them and get them moving. But I've seen people lose you know, 100 pounds without able to exercise too, because they need you walking around and with canes and different things, but um, absolutely, I think you know the exercise is really important. So, what exercise do you do right now? You're very active. You skateboard, right, and some other things. So, I lost 163 pounds in 11 months. My goal was 100. Okay. So I fought that, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, "Well, now what?" Because I, I it was just a goal. Like I didn't. I mean, admittedly, I didn't want it to be my lifestyle. I didn't want it. I didn't want to have to do this every single day for the rest of my life. I just wanted to be thin like everybody else. Mm-hmm. Although now thin, the world doesn't look so thin to me anymore. No. But um, I said, well, what can I do now? What 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 what's there to do? And I said, oh, you used to skateboard when you were like 13 years old. Let's give that a try at 30. So I went to the mall and I bought a skateboard and all the stuff that goes with it. And by way of the cosmos, I ended up visiting a friend from high school that I hadn't seen in years just and showed up at his house, knocked on his door. He didn't even know who I was. He's like, what the fuck do you want? I'm like, it's me. It's me. And he told me about a skate park in York. So I went to the skate park that day and it was all over. I just, and so the 193 comes from the fact that skateboarding for like a month and a half, two months, 30 more pounds, like nothing, wow. like, and it was cool because when I went to the park, everyone there's lean. Mm-hmm. That's just what are because it takes so much energy to do what they do that they're all so thin. 
But now, I I got a little. I always like a challenge. I always like to be doing something new. Ever since the weight loss, I feel like that was big, and I want to do other big things with my life. And about when I moved back from Ohio, so let's see, maybe 16 weeks ago, 14 to 16 weeks ago, maybe. Um, I came home to York and I started going to the gym um, just to kind of, I wanted abs. I really wanted abs. I have a little bit of loose skin, um, my, my torso, which I don't like. I'm, I'm kind of not too bummed about it because my body looks generally pretty good for losing 193 pounds. But I wanted abs, so I started going to a gym. And then in like six weeks, I had a six-pack. Because I really work hard when I do the exercise thing. I take it to an ex- like, I train twice a day, three hours of training session. Like, I, I, I go pretty hard when I train. And it made me think, man, you should shut some more people up. The meat eaters, right? Like, there were people at the gym who would talk to me every day. And then one day I decided to wear my vegan shirt in. And some of those people won't even make eye contact with me now. So <laughs> took it upon myself to be like, all right, I want to show people that you, like, people in my life, because, of course, there's the 300-pound athlete or the vegan athlete and a bunch of bodybuilders, like, um, oh, what's that one guy's name? I forget his name. Um, but I want to show people in my life and the people that are exposed to me that you can gain muscle in real time on a plant-based diet, eating nothing. And, by the way, 1,200 calories a day. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't exceed... 100 calories a day, and I've literally, my chest in the last three weeks has doubled in size. My arms, everything's growing extremely fast. And so that's my new thing. So right now, I'm not really trying to get big, but I'm trying to get very, very lean and cut. That sounds pretty vain, but... No, I mean, if you haven't had that before and you're able to do that, so you're working out three hours a day? Um... Yeah, at least. At least. Oh, wow. Then I'll go back to the gym and work out for three hours, okay. which maybe like two and a half of it's working out, and then a half hour of it's like steam room and shower. So, okay. yeah, it's, it's intense. So tell it's people, work. What are you eating? What Tell people what you're eating that they're, if they're interested in doing something like that. Um, well, I just started taking... Vega mm-hmm. performance protein designed for Brandon Brazier, a triathlon, triathlete, Ironman. So, um, because honestly, I don't really like eating as much as, as I used to. Mm-hmm. Um, not because it's plant food. There's some really delicious plant food out there. But I feel like my body in some ways still wants to hold on to things. Mm-hmm. So I try to have like little to zero fat in my diet at all. Hmm. which is tough. But for the in the mornings, I won't generally eat anything. Um, I'll go to the gym at 5 a.m. or 4.30, depending on who's opening. And after the gym, I'll have a protein shake, which is about, with flaxseed, it's about 31 grams of protein, low calories, so maybe like 260 calories total. And then maybe like a bowl of oats, like a cup of oats, with some almond milk, almond milks, unsweetened almond milks, the only nut milk that I tend to drink. Um, and then sometimes I'll skip lunch, 
don't really focus on lunch. And then for dinner, I'll eat curry, chickpea curry. Um, if you follow me on Instagram, most of my recipes are on there. Um, pizza, vegan pizza with cashew ricotta cheese. Um, let's see. Rice and beans. See, I'm simple. When I tell people my meal plans, they're like, I could never eat like that. Like, I brought, brought black beans into the gym, and this guy said, so what's on your black beans? And I said, it's just black beans. And he goes, I could never do that. There's no flavor. And I'm like, that's because your your palate's overworked. <laughs> Once you get sugars and those, those high-intensity palate foods, you mm. tend to like – like, when I first started drinking – unsweetened almond milk it tasted like water and now i drink it and it's like it's sweet it's unsweetened but you can taste the, the sugar from the almond in it so you learn to love it but i'm very simple rice beans oats lentils yellow split peas butternut squash and i don't really cook every night so sometimes it's just simple rice and beans is enough for me mm -hmm. i tend to be the same way for sure all right. Very good. So you don't feel you – now you're doing lifting weights and, and boarding. Are you also a runner? Because are you more just skateboarding and for your cardio? I do cardio at the gym. I'll run like – depends on how I'm feeling. Some days – if it's nice and I'm going to skate that day, I'll, I'll do low cardio because skating depletes calor, calories and energy like nothing. So – I tend to not do cardio on the days that I know I'll be skating, but if I'm not skating because of the weather, I'll run like two miles, okay. but I'll space that out. Mm -hmm. Like that's so admirable about Tim is he's, I mean, he's still a big guy because of all the muscle he has and he's running like 10 plus 13 plus miles. The most I've ran since I've lost weight consecutively without stopping is 2.75 miles. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, within the next three years, I'd like to complete an Ironman. Okay. Because for me, that would be like the the epitome of like going from 373 pounds to an Ironman. That would be that would be the whole like. All right, I'm done now. Now what do I do? <laughs> you run across America next. <laughs> yeah, Horace Gump. <laughs> so. You lost all the weight, and now you've literally turned your food addiction around, and now exercise is definitely one of your main things. What do you do for a living? What do you do during the day? Well, right now, I'm actually unemployed, trying to brand myself. Um, I want to become a personal trainer, and I also want to be plant-based certified. So I'm looking into that whole idea of life coaching, weight loss coaching, um, when I was living in Ohio, I was working at Porsche's Cafe. If anybody gets an opportunity to be in Columbus, Ohio, check out Porsche's Cafe. All vegan, all raw, oil-free, gluten-free, amazing food. Porsche's? Um, you said Porsche's? Porsche's. Porsche's, okay. P-O-R-T-I-A. Um, wonderful woman, too. An amazing woman. Vegan for 25 years. Great employees. Great atmosphere. Um, so I managed to save a decent amount of money when I was living out there. And right now I'm just kind of taking a little hiatus. Work's not so much important to me as my health. So I don't know. I'm not really into the career 
weird for me. I mean, I'm I'm not really into the monetary system as it stands. Capitalism and all other isms are kind of a um, little bit too controlling for me. So that's like another podcast. That's different. <laughs> all right. So right now you're and you have other interviews coming up with Jason Cohen and Chadwick from Mending Ways. I mean, this is really cool. I mean, I think there's a lot to be said for someone who did that in such a short period of time. You said you started June 2015? 14? 14. 14. Yeah, like I had taken, I had taken, so, okay. So it was May 2015 when I started skateboarding. And then I just kind of was a skateboarder then. Like, I just skated. I continued to convey the message of veganism, talk to all the kids, all the local kids at the skate park are totally amazed by me because I popped up out of nowhere. They had all been skating there for eight years. And I show them the pictures, and they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So I just kind of, like, took some time off from being out there Mm -hmm. as this person, just skateboarding, enjoying my life, and – I'm like, man, I really want to do something with this. Because um, the first thing that I experienced after I lost the weight um, morally was I want to do this for other people. Mm. Like, I want to help people. I de- because no one helped me. Like, there were, like I did it all on my own, so to speak, with the help of T. Colin Campbell and some other doctors. But there wasn't anybody diagnosing me. There wasn't anybody prescribing me anything. And... I feel bad for the people out there that feel lost. Like, I'm lucky enough to have the mindset that I have, to have a grasp on intellect and rationale and logic and critical thinking, and most people don't. Not to judge anybody, but it's just a fact. And a lot of people are just lost. So I really want to help people. So I started um, sharing my story on Facebook on a bunch of plant-based pages, like T. Collins. I don't even know which one. Um, the McDougal Friends page, Plant Strong Fitness, I think it might be called. Um, just trying to get my stuff out there. That's why Tim, I forget who he said this to, but maybe it was you. He shared my story and was like, Jason's been hiding. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm shy. I mean, I'm a bit shy. I'm a bit, you know, anxious. And I didn't really, I never really thought about my story as that big of a thing weird right to me the most amazing part of the story is how did a kid who was i mean by way of drugs but still a kid who was thin and active generally gain 300 you know 200 some pounds like that to me is the most amazing part it's not the loot the losing weight shouldn't have happened because i should have never gained weight Mm -hmm. to me the psychological the psychology behind how someone allows themselves to get to that level, the psychology behind addiction and the intrigue that I have about that psychology is much more profound to me than losing the weight. Like I said to Beth in Ohio, you people really think this is amazing. She's like, yeah, yeah, it's amazing. You lost 193 pounds. And I'm like, but I gained 193 pounds. Isn't that crazy? So, I was listening to Tim's podcast the other night. Whose podcast? And um, Tim was Tim did a podcast for Howard Jacobson. Oh, okay. And um, I was listening to his, and 
mind you, because I haven't really tried to stay as humble as I can, so I don't really praise my story. I don't really, I'm not like confident and cocky about, oh, I lost 193 pounds. Um, but I'm listening to Tim's podcast with Howard Jacobson, and he got to a point where he got a little bit emotional, and he was describing his life, um, his life with his wife before and after, and he started crying, and how he said like his wife went from putting on and taking off his shoes because of his weight and his inflammation to now like every weekend they have adventures, they go someplace new, they hike, they run, they do marathons together. And in that moment, I paused it, and I, it was the first time I reflected on what I did. Like, this is why we do podcasts. Mm-hmm. So I listen to him, and I'm thinking, I never thought about my life. Because when you're losing weight like that, you're in it. You're focused. You're on it. Right. So you're not really worried about anything else. And that was the first time I was able to look back and say, wow, this was your life before, and this is your life now. How amazing. And so I, I want to. I want to write a book. I want to do what everyone's doing. Write a book. Write a cookbook. Do do it all. Do it all. Just help the world. You just got to get started, right? Yep. So you know, I think that's a, it's a really interesting point you brought out, that you were intrigued by how did I gain all this weight to begin with, but a lot of people do that. And I don't think they ever sit down to think, well, why did that happen? The hard part is losing the weight and maintaining it because that's what people can't do. That's what they struggle with. But I think it's interesting that you, as someone who went through both sides, you found it more interesting in the beginning before you just kind of had that revelation of like, wow, that really is significant of how did I get here to begin with. So do you feel it was the food addiction and the type of foods that you were eating that led to it? Was it a mindset? Was it a... Uh, just a habit? I mean, what was it you think that led down that path to begin with? Oh, I mean, I don't like to blame anybody because your actions are your actions. But, of course, you know, the educational system that tells you and tells you what to be eating as far as animal products and is feeding you animal products. And then parents who are absolutely clueless that you find out at 30 and you're looking at your parents like they don't have a they don't have a clue. Mm-hmm. And they were raising children. They don't have a clue. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I don't, like I said, I don't blame anybody, but I do put a little bit of responsibility on, well, biology cannot be studied outside the context of environment. So my environment played such a huge role. For example, the whole time I'm gaining weight, nobody in my family sat, again, I'm not blaming anybody, but nobody sat down and said, you know, we're really concerned about you. You're gaining weight. You were thin your whole life for 17, 18 years. What's going on? Let's figure something out. But the second I got thin, in fact, every time I visit my grandparents, granted they're grandparents, every time we see you, you get thinner. Are you sick? Are you okay? Blah, 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 blah. It's like you were concerned when it was happening, when I was actually sick. And so I attributed a lot to that. The normalcy of of being big in America, bad acceptance. Mm -hmm. We don't want to harm anybody's feelings. So I I put a lot of it on that. Of course, the addiction's there. The addiction's there. The habit's there. The foods are so good. They're designed in labs Mm -hmm. to make you addicted. Mm -hmm. That should anger anybody. Oh, you should see, see. I do uh, some of the uh, 
responsibilities that I have at Dr. Furman's Health Oasis, where I'm the medical director here in Florida. I sit with the patients and I'm teaching them about food and how why we eat this way and the science for you know the principles behind it. But one of my favorite is the food addiction. And when we talk about I throw big food under the bus. I was like, listen, you know, I think big pharma will take way of if we're not so sick, they're gonna find other drugs to, you know, maybe a cancer cure or more, you know, resistance, you know, the resistance of antibiotics is an issue. They're gonna go search out other ways to make money. I'm not so worried about them. But big food they talk about, you know, when they talk about stomach share, it's really the market share they have of, of an individual's stomach. I mean, that's disgusting in, in how they, they talk about that. And, you know, you talked about the bliss point, you know, where you eat just enough to where you want a little bit more, but if you go past it where you don't, you know, it's too much and you don't want it. Because I, when I eat, I had one time, um, what are those called? Krispy Kreme donuts, like, I don't know, 10 years ago, whatever. Oh. I had one, and I got, I ate half of one, I got sick. I was like, this is, wow, how do you people eat this? I mean, they're eating like five or six at a time, way past oh my, my bliss point. <laughs> and, you know, then they're even mouthfeel, where they actually look at the crunch factor, and they, they literally scientifically get to that. I mean, I mean, if you look at my books, it's all about the Dorito effect. I have end of overeating, um, and then I started reading about the addiction in general and the realm of hungry ghosts. I mean, all these amazing books that regular doctors I have patients that come to see me for a decade, you know, and I have no idea about this understanding. I mean, I sort of did, but it was just such a vague concept to right. really understand it and then understand that I'm treating these patients with drugs that are only controlling numbers and not actually, you know, stopping the actual addiction. And, oh, it's, 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 it's talk about getting upset. Yes, I get, I get a little upset or a lot of upset, you know, and I, I tell people that should really make you mad. I said, quit giving money to CEOs. Because they're they're you know benefiting off your illness and your addiction, and I think it happens too by way of um, entertainment like television. I think if mm -hmm. people would turn their TVs off, they would see a huge difference in the way they approach their lives. Absolutely. Because, my, for example, growing up, you know, we didn't we weren't allowed to have soda. I mean, if we went out to eat, we would have. They would say, okay, you can have a soda after that. It's water, so make the soda. Like, we, we weren't raised recklessly, but, of course, by what you and I know, we weren't eating the greatest tuna noodle casserole, meatloaf, stuff like that, spaghetti, general American household foods. And my mom was cooking all the time. Mm -hmm. So it's like you're, you're at least cooking real food. It might not be the healthiest it's dead animal, whatever, but you're cooking it. Now, flash forward 15 years, 18 years, you go to their house and go through their cupboards, and it's all box, bag, box, bag, can, box, 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 box. Mm -hmm. No more food. Mm -hmm. No more make your own dough. No more. No more. No more. Right. Anything that – it's just like – so even – even the generation, and this is the point, the, the point that I'm making is even the generation that grew up in less of an industrialized time, granted baby boomers are a little bit more technocratic than their parents, but they kind of had the pantries. They grew up with the farm food and the pantry, and even they got duped by industry. Mm -hmm. Flash forward. Right. So it's like. 
the power that they have, not only on the youth, but of changing the mind of people who are set in their ways. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Let industry at you, and they'll take you right out of your ways and put them right into theirs. Mm -hmm. Right. It's absolutely crazy to see. I'm curious, because my kids are 23, almost 21, and 18. And so, you know, two of my three have switched over, because they were 13, 16, and 18 when I switched our diet five years ago. And I literally did it overnight, like done, just like you did. I went home and cleaned it all out. And um, I'm curious because my daughter's 23 and she's starting medical school this fall. And um, uh, she has seen forks over knives. I've talked science. I've talked about patients. I, I mean, this poor kid knows more about nutrition in her pinky than the majority of individuals. She's still resistant. And we have a great relationship. Great kids. Fantastic. What, because you're closer to that generation. You're only, you said you're 30. What, what is that message that you would share with someone, you know, in that generation that you're coming out of the twenties that would really, you know, they're not sick yet. They're not overweight. They haven't, um, you know, they're not necessarily ethical vegan types. What would you suggest for someone who is working with family members or those type of kids or older teenagers to convince them or at least make them start thinking about it changing? Well, I think when you're talking about kids of any age, I mean, even anything under like 21, I feel maybe even 23, um, just make it exciting. I think the only way that you can get those people on board with the lifestyle is to make it exciting. Like there's a, there's actually, I've, I don't want to say converted cause I'm not like I've trained anybody, but through what I've talked and done, I mean, I do a lot of lectures with my friends. I'll just stand and talk for hours and all my friends will sit and listen to me. It's actually pretty cool, but I've changed a couple people. A couple people have been motivated because you're a scumbag. You know, I have to, I look at people and I'm like, you're just, you're not as great as you think you are. And sometimes you have to kill your ego to make an ethical, moral, moral change in your life. Like, if you're eating animals, you're doing harm to the animal, to yourself, and to the planet. And if no one in your life has come along yet and said to you that you're a scumbag for doing that, then I'll be the guy. Because at some point, you have, to hold, you have to hold a mirror up. You have to hold a mirror up. I mean, I don't like to bully people into changing, but at some point, like, that's what I did for me. They call it ego death. You have to look into yourself and realize all that you're doing wrong. It hurts to admit when you're wrong. It hurts even worse to see that you're doing it. So I think if, if with your daughter, I mean, if she knows that much about nutrition and I mean, she's still eating animal products. Mm-hmm. Yep, she has. She doesn't eat so much the red meat. She likes cheese. She likes cheese. I think there might be a bit of food addiction, and but you know, I think part of it too is the message is coming from me as a mom, and not so much you know uh, someone. It's else. not coming from you. I feel as much as it could be coming through you, because you're not the founder of all this information. Right. Oh yeah, it's been around you're for decades. Just, you're just a conveyor. Yep. So, so I feel like maybe perception needs to change on that. But it's, I mean, have you asked her? Have well, you said? 
Despite all of this and she, me and your... She says, I just like my uh, chicken and I like my cheese. That's what she says. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she says, you know, maybe if I ever get sick, I might change. I was like, why wait? Why make yourself sick? And, you know, it's, it's, it's an unfortunate thing. Um, I hope she never is sick. But I think there'll be a reality maybe check when she sees sick patients. And um, For sure. And that's what breaks my heart too. Is I was like, listen, him, you you have the power as a physician, especially if you're considering maybe pediatrics. You get these little guys, or family medicine, which is what I do. I said you have the power to change lives for generations. Because if I can get someone young, if I can get a mom and a dad and those kiddos, they're going to be raised this way. But that next generation that they have, that's where we start seeing some real changes. Because now, you know, you went from here and you're just spreading out your message. And those habits will change. we got to get people back into cooking. You know, we got to take away our kitchen, away from, you know, commercial foods and make it ourselves like you're talking about, how it's always boxed and things like that. So it's a, it's a really interesting challenge. But my two boys are all on board. Oh, my goodness, they're cracking me up. I mean, one in college and the 18-year-old, and, of course, my husband's on board 100%. So it's not, it's not even necessarily that. They just get it. They're like, I feel great. I have, you know, and they, and they like actually being different. They like being the ones that are like, yeah. I'm See, different. I'm a contrarian myself, and to be on the outskirts of society is so empowering. Actually, I did, a, did kind of like a live interview class thing out in Ohio, and somebody asked me um, – speak on the whole, like, how do you motivate yourself when there's everybody in your life kind of not really giving you a hard, kind of giving you a hard time, for lack of a better term, for being vegan is, well, that's exactly what should propel your veganism. <laughs> the prop is the solution in that regard, mm -hmm. for sure. Bring on the hate. Like, I want to wear my vegan shirt every day to the gym now. Mm-hmm. The less eyes on me, the better, because one day I'll come in here and all eyes are going to be on me because I'm going to look better than all of you. Mm -hmm. How quick. So, yeah. yeah, there's a bit of a contrarian attitude. If you can have that, I feel like it's an it's an empowering thing to be mm -hmm. contrary. But it's got to be positive. Right. You can't be contrary to the negative end of things. Right. Well, the positivity draws people to you. <laughs> and then if you have the courage to stand up and be different and share the truth and show the truth is really truth. I mean, you can't deny this. I mean, this works. There's no negative side effects. <laughs> There's zero. And uh, when you share that with people and they're just so empowered by your message and they see the passion like you have, you're going to do well. I mean, that's what I – when people ask me, Dr. Mervis, how do you get people – you know, before when I was in rural Colorado, like little town rural Colorado, hunters – meat eaters, you know, I had, you know, blue collar workers, Medicare patients, Medicaid patients. These people had no money, nowhere to shop. I mean, we had Walmart, <laughs> we had Kroger's. Um, and they're like, how do you take someone that comes in for a bladder infection and they leave with your handout and changing their diet? I said, well, one, because I share the truth and I share my story of how I changed my diet. And then I share patient stories and how they changed. And I said, when you start sharing these amazing things and you give people hope, it's for me, it's a matter of giving hope, but speaking the truth and giving hope because that hope is what people don't have these days. They don't have authenticity. They don't have hope. And they just feel that this is the way life is. It's like, no, 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 no. God put us here to live an extraordinary life. All of us, not just special people, all of us. And so I think when you share that with people and they're so intrigued by that potential of possibilities, like, you mean I'm special? Like, absolutely. You're special. 
And we just got to, yeah. You are God. Yep. I mean, we are, I think gods and goddesses at birth and we're vaccinated into bad health. We're just everything, 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 everything. I feel like the, 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 the pineal gland, the, the spiritual aspect of our animalhood has been so far removed from us. I think that's the, I mean, when someone asks me to generalize what's wrong with humanhood, that's what I say. We've been taken away from the fact that we're animals and that we have spirits and that we used to communicate telepathically. I mean, there's things that we used to do a millennia ago that we can't, we're too clogged. That's how I view it. I feel Mm -hmm. like our, our bodies with food, but just you got a saturation of information, a saturation of entertainment, mm-hmm. family responsibilities, work responsibilities, the economy's failing, all the fear-mongering from the news, blah, 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 blah. It's like, it's nice sometimes to come across authenticity, truth, and hope. Mm-hmm. It's all of the chaos that is pretty much normal America now. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why I don't have a television. I tell people there's a reason I don't have a television. Something happens. <laughs> Someone will let me know. And I just, you know, there's there was a story, and I don't remember who was share. I, I, I watch a lot of podcasts and read books, and I don't remember exactly where I got this story from. But it, it's a very, it's a, it rings true what we do when we watch television. So, there, for example, they're saying that there was a chain of islands. Let's say there's a thousand islands. And once a year, um, in one island, or one every 10 years, there's a shark attack. And let's say someone, you know, was injured or died. Once every 10 years on one island. But there's a thousand islands, right? But these islands didn't have any communication. So, but nobody was afraid of the water because it happened once every decade. Maybe every 15 years, right? But then, television comes in, communication. So now we have every single island, and we are seeing report. But thousand islands, and you're having you know, shark attacks every single day and it's broadcast. So what you start believing is this exactly what you're talking about. Fear mongering is that I shouldn't be going out into the ocean because now I'm going to be attacked by a shark because it's happening every single day and people are dying. And, you know, and that, and that's, and that's how they generate, um, audience and that's how they generate money. And, you know, and I'm all for, trust me, I'm a conservative when it comes, you know, people making their way and making their own, you know, money and taking care of themselves. Um, but that, that, that's just too much. The, the, yeah, speak the truth. I mean, for goodness sake, I've tuned into a new show that just spoke about good news. Oh, what a blessing that would be. But, you know, but where's the money in that? I don't know. I think there might be someone, you know, because we're tired of it. We're just tired. So, um, it's, it's, it's a fascinating, that was a really fascinating, uh, example of what we see in the news because, you know, yes, there are people dying in Syria, and we're afraid of terrorists, but in the United States, why, why are we doing that? Why are we so focused on that? Why don't we should be more afraid of what we're doing to ourselves with big food, well, with I, what we're feeding our children, things like that. Well, yeah, and that too, but I think America and, and American taxpayers have a bit of responsibility when, when we have 900 military bases over 193 countries and, and we're constantly bombing and attacking we're going to create some terrorists. Oh, yeah. We're going to create. We, we could talk about the history of all that. I mean, I was active duty and I was in the Middle East, so I've been there. I mean, and certainly when you go in, you have different thoughts when you leave. Um, but sure. but as far as you know, 
honestly, I don't think terrorists could do a better job of destroying ourselves from within than we are currently with our foods. Oh, I, think, I forget the guy's name. I watched a TED Talk the other night with a high-ranking military official, mm-hmm. and it was about how childhood obesity should be a national security outcry. Absolutely. 610,000 people die every year of heart disease. Mm-hmm. And you're worried about the 2,000 that die in terrorist attacks a year. Mm-hmm. I mean, that just doesn't seem right. right. Yeah. I mean, and the sad thing right. is, I'm, yeah, you just numbers. right, right. The, the, the key, too, is, I mean, if you think about when I was in the active duty, I got out in 2010, we would have people come in and they would actually have to be discharged because of diabetes or some mm-hmm. other obesity um, and it's unfortunate because they're suffering the same problems that we are. So we exactly, it should be a national security issue because no one's going to be able or fit to be in the military. Another one of his points, exactly. That was mm-hmm. exactly his, it's like there's pe- people are being turned away right and left right now because, so who are we going to, you know, and we, we won't see it overnight, but in 10 years, 15 years, who's going to fight our wars? Mm-hmm. Yep. So they'll be calling but, it the old from a folks. National <laughs> security issue from that regard, from that perspective of who's going to fight our wars for us if everyone's too fat. Because honestly, what I think they'll do, if war is still happening in 15 years or however long it takes for the majority of people entering military to be overweight, they'll just change the qualifications. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know what I mean? They're not going to be like, oh, well, no one can get in. It's obvious. <laughs> The, the childhood obesity and the teenage obesity and the adult obesity, it's its obvious that it's contrived. Mm-hmm. This isn't an accident. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, when they see, when we see that this is an ongoing issue and we're seeing obesity trends the way we are, look at the only thing that's changed is our food. It's the only thing that's yeah. changed. Um, I am in, in our activity levels, in our activity levels. I would say our food and the way we learn about food and the technology that we use to deploy our information to one another. There's a lot of things that have changed that have resulted in, you know, because our food changes. But if, if someone's telling you the truth about that food that changed, you won't eat it. Mm-hmm. But watching a TV that's like, get little Debbie's blueberry muffins. Mm-hmm. Why not just eat <laughs> well, you're right, and there's you know there's one of the few countries we allow advertising to kids too. Then that's a whole nother issue. Again, there's probably at least ten different podcast subjects we could speak about. But I am curious. I really wanted to bring back the whole ADHD thing that you had when you were a kiddo. And do you? How are your symptoms now? I mean, so you said you quit when you're in out of high school, did you notice that you still had those symptoms even though you weren't on the medication? And did, did those symptoms change as you changed your diet? When I was on Adderall throughout school, I was I was the class clown, which is kind of cool to think about. But I was also very reserved and quiet. I didn't much meddle in other people's business. I didn't have a group of friends. I was friends with the FFA. I was friends with the jocks. I floated around. But I was very, um, to myself, it would be like I would take a pill in the morning and then be very, very just focused because that's what they want you to be, focused. And then by lunchtime, the first pill is wearing off. So at lunchtime, I'm, 
love everything, life's good, and then after lunch I gotta go to the nurse and take another pill, and then after lunch it's like you're back down to this, and that would last until like 4 p.m., but none of that now, none of that now. It's crazy to me that I remember being six and going to the doctor to get diagnosed with this disorder. I remember it like it was yesterday. And I know some people have thoughts from their childhood and you might not believe it because it's so long ago, 24 years ago. But I remember being put into a room with a double-sided mirror, glass, so they were watching me, but I couldn't see them. And I remember there being a wicker chair and a giant stuffed animal teddy bear and all the dentist office like just toys everywhere. And I was I was a kid who was in a building that he's never been in, in a room inside of a building that he's never been in, around a bunch of toys that he's never seen before. So I went from this toy to this toy. And now I have tons of friends with children and I watch their kids and they'll go from this toy to this toy to the that's how I was diagnosed with ADD. Because I couldn't just focus on one thing. As if, like, giving me all these points of stimulation, you know? So, but my, I don't have any symptoms from taking Ritalin now. Absolutely not. But as far as when you, you said you stopped the, the Adderall when you were coming out of high school, right? You said you stopped it and then you gained the weight. Did you have symptoms re- kind of remer- you know, emerge when you stopped taking it because you were still eating poorly? Did you suffer those symptoms? Of- what do you mean? So, like, did you have, so you were stopping the medication out of high school, right? Mm-hmm. So then you, then you were still eating poorly and gaining weight. Did you have those symptoms when you were not on the medications? Did you have symptoms of inability to focus, or do you feel like you were never had it to begin with? I never had it to begin with. Ah, uh, okay. I got you. No. I, and I wouldn't know because... I mean, six years old, you're just a lot, right? Right. You don't have a concept of much. You're just enjoying life. Right. So put on the medication, that's all I knew. Mm. I can't for anything before six. Wow. Not because of the meds, but, I, I mean, right. that was the point of life where you're in school now, you're around strangers, you're, you got to be a human being out in the world. <laughs> Me, looking back, I'm like, I, I never had it. I never had it. This was just a way to get parents to pay for drugs, man. That's all it was. I'm curious, are your are your folks or your any siblings have changed their diets at all? No. No? Not even to- interested at all? Nope. It's very sad to watch. It's very sad to watch. Very. It's so sad to watch because I think when I talk to my parents about it, they they feel like, I'm trying to, like, get them to do something because I did it and it worked for me. And I'm just, like, I just am looking at two different people than the people I grew up with. That's all. Mm. Not because you look different because you're larger. You just, you don't do the same stuff. You don't clean the house every week. You don't cook dinner every night. You don't, you guys don't go out and do stuff. You don't run or walk. You don't do anything. There's, like, what happened to you? So, for me, my, my wanting for my parents comes from just they're cheating themselves out of a rich life that they could have at 57 years old. Mm. But because of their age, they're, that's the throw in the towel time. You know, we're, we're old now. It's time to, no, no. I want to be skateboarding when I'm 70, 80, 90. If I make it that far, I want to be skateboarding. I want to be running. I want to be going to the gym. I want to be doing everything I'm doing now 
60 years from now. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's my attitude. That's good. That, and that's really the attitude you have to have. Because I actually said that exact same thing. I went running with a friend this morning. Uh, we run every single day. And uh, I said, we're going to be running when we're 90. Because I converted her to the diet since I've been here. I've had several people <laughs> convert. Um but, yeah, it's, it's a really important thing to see the longevity of life. I tell people, you know, when I'm with my patients, I say, listen, we're animals, like you were saying. You see in nature, animals don't go to the, you know, their drugstore and get their drugs for whatever disease process that's they're going on. What they do is they live their lifespan, and most of them live their lifespan. There's not overweight ones. You don't see, you know, different sizes of deers or different sizes of the bears, <laughs> you know, unless there's a famine or something going on. But what happens is they live their genetic, you know, destined length of span, lifespan, and then they die quickly. That's, I mean, we're, we're no different. We're nothing, <laughs> we might have more of a frontal a lobe in order to in speak to each other, and we have this capability of doing things that we do. But, again, we should live that long life, and then we shouldn't be getting sick as we get older. We shouldn't be, you know, in our 40s having heart attacks and strokes and, you know, all these autoimmune diseases and all these horrible things as we live our life, boom, and then we die quickly. That's the way it's supposed to be. And so really interesting. Yeah. And people just, they sit there. They, you know, it's just like when you bring up the whole topic of not drinking cow's milk. <laughs> and it's like, I have actually had people, I will, I will tell them, I was like, okay, with multiple conversations with patients. Because, I mean, if you're seeing 80 to 100 patients a week, there's so many conversations that you have. And so you get into a little spiel. I call it my spiel. I was like, so when I'm talking to them about the diet, it's like, well, let's start with milk. I was like, what was the original intention of milk? And they look at me like I'm lost my mind. I was like, no, really. Why, why would a mother cow make milk? And they still, some of them would say, well, for her calf. And we'd go on and say, yeah, we're human. We don't need that. But some of them would still look at me and like, they couldn't quite get it. Why would I even be asking that question? Because we've so commercialized the production of milk from another animal that that's for our consumption that they can't even, the, the, the basic biology of feeding a, a small you know, calf <laughs> to grow. And it, it's, it's incredible. It, it's incredible to me. It is absolutely incredible. So, again. Well, and, and embarrassingly enough, um, this is great for the viewers, uh, I grew up watching Happy Cows and Happy Pigs, right, mm -hmm. like everybody else. And you see Farmer Joe, and he's milking his cow, and you're just like, that's part of farm life. When I found out at 29 years old that that cow needed to be raped and impregnated in order to produce milk. See, I, I just thought cows produced milk, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like, that's how far detached from the the workings of things we are, we don't, we just associate, we don't think about it. We don't critically think just associate. So I'm like, that's just what a farmer does. They milk a cow because it's, Oh, it's doing milk again. Let's milk it. No, it's because it just had a baby. Mm -hmm. So you, people don't even think about that. That's just my own little embarrassing moment of like, wow. <laughs> but it, it happens every single, and these are rational, intelligent human beings. You know, right. but when you bring that to them, they're like, I never thought of that. And it's like, so now we're going to drink a liquid. 
that is made to make a cow grow 600 pounds in a year, don't you think our little human bodies are going to have some problems? <laughs> and, uh, but you know, it, it's really funny, but even doctors, I've had doctors who were, were vegan, a tell she had four children and said, I still think my kids need cow's milk. I'm like, because they need it for whatever, you know, the protein or whatever their excuse is or calcium. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You're making your kids sick. They're constipated. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's incredible. No, I'm serious. There's some, it's, uh, the conversations I've had with some, some folks, it's, um, it's disturbing and sad, but others are always very good. But, you know, I, we have a very successful six, you know, I think we have a, a good chance of seeing this momentum grow and I'm very excited to see the movement where it's going because more people yeah, like you more people i think that humans were duped maybe three to five hundred years ago into this this i mean we're paving nature we're totally getting rid of everything that we know to be natural and i think at some point the human spirit will rise up from from beneath and say i, I can't do this anymore this is totally not for my species, none of it. The buildings, the careers, the whole made-up money system. It's like we can't eat this food anymore. I think it's happening, and I couldn't be more stoked. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, you know, and, and people are really finding, because when I talk to people about decreasing stress, the first thing I do is you have to reconnect with nature. You have to go outside. You know, yep. there's a reason why – and studies show that when you go outside in the morning between six and seven, when the light's coming out and just that amount of light makes you more awake and gives you, it helps with depression. And so there's very, very specific things we can look at nature and people go outside. You can't not feel calmer walking, you know, on a trail somewhere and going for a hike. You know, there's a reason I run every week to the beach here and just sit and enjoy, you know, Plus you're right next to the oxygen. And it's mmm, smells so good. The, you know, it's uh, it is nice to be at sea level because coming from Colorado, my family's still in Colorado till my my little one graduates high school this May. But it's just it's it's uh, it's amazing. The ocean's an amazing thing, and people who take it for granted just don't understand. I don't understand. I grew up in the deserts of New Mexico, so water is just fascinates me. But Wow. Um, we had a very good conversation. That was a good one. <laughs> it was. And, you know, um, I know I've taken up quite a bit of your time. And I really appreciate everything that you said. And it'll, it'll, I think we'll have many more fun conversations. Are you going to Leadville by any chance this summer? Do you know about Leadville? No. There's Leadville, so it's in Colorado. And it's you should talk to Tim about Leadville. It's... Um, one of, I guess the highest town in the country, and it's not too far from where I, I live in Colorado. And many of those plant-based crazy people that run those ultra marathons and stuff are all running the marathon. But so, and I kept getting invited, so I'm going to go run the heavy half, which is 15 miles up in Leadville. And going from <laughs> you should come. I'm sure there's somewhere that someone will let you stay something. But I'm bringing other Floridians with me, and um, so we're gonna I'm gonna get to meet all those guys. You know, Tim and uh, yeah, Josh. Sure. Yeah, so Jason Cohen will be there. Um, yeah, so all these people I've talked to all the time online, and I've interviewed them, but now I'm actually going to be able to, you know, put my hands around them and give them a big hug. But something to think about. It's June 17th. Yeah. Well, Tim and I are actually planning to meet 
at the, the Grand Canyon of Pennsylvania. He lives in Buffalo, New York. I'm in New York, Pennsylvania. We're about three and a half hours from each other. Awesome. So we're going to meet at a place to go hiking together. That is so it's cool. cool. I want to meet all of them. You know, and we're also. That's the other cool thing is that I've I've never met such a wonderful group of people. Like, there's no one that I don't like. I mean, everyone that I, I speak to, I just want to keep talking to because I want to make them part of my life, you know, my, my web. And, uh, you know, I just, um, Karen uh, Bertza Kelly, who I've interviewed, she's like number six or seven in the podcast, is an OB nurse, and she changed her diet and got rid of her arthritis symptoms and, I mean, just some crazy stuff. And she came down and she, I met her, we had dinner the other night and we spent like four hours talking. So that is so much fun. And then Anthony and Kathy Masiello and they came and slept on my couch for three, you know, two nights. Oh, yeah. And he <laughs> skates, right? He does skate. And so, yeah. you know, if anything. He's on New York to skate. Oh, yeah. He, he's, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know anything about skating, but I don't know. I think apparently he's pretty good. <laughs> But, um, yeah, just some amazing people that I've been able to meet, doctors and just individuals like yourself who, you know, defy the the culture and go the other way and have some amazing benefits and help people. And I just I was like, why wouldn't I just keep wanting to reach out and meet these people? Because they're amazing. So, yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, it all started for me when I said to Tim really quick, I said, Man, it'd be so cool if I knew more people that went through what I went through. And he was basically like, stand by. The next morning, I woke up to 32 friend requests <laughs> because of Tim. Yeah. So, and so it's not that I'm not alone for sure. Because you. living in town is like, no one's, this is meat and dairy capital of where I live. So. Mm -hmm. It's cool. I'm excited. Yeah. Well, I thought I was the only physician on the entire west side of Colorado that did this. And then I met, um, well, I did food for life training as well. So I know Beth and, but then I met in DC, um, with our food for life training, a cardiologist that does it in grand junction, which was about an hour from where I lived. And then, you know, other docs too, that I've come across just from connecting with different people. So I think that's so important, the connection and spreading your web and bringing people together. And that's how that momentum grows. And, you know, we need to get, you know, and I love Dr. Campbell. I know Dr. Esselstyn and Campbell both, and they're just fabulous. But they're also in their 80s. So we need to up, you know, the younger generation and start moving us, let's start moving yeah, us forward. Never really think about it like that, but you, that's that's a really good point. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they did all the hard work. They were the, you know, they took the blade and made the pathway. And so now we just got to make it wider and keep going and share that message because the science is there. I mean, there's no doubt. Oh. The the clinical experience. My last five years, you can't deny the clinical experience. I mean, there's just it's it's you just can't do it. You know, Dr. Furman, Dr. Bernard, um, you know, all those guys. So Dr. Furman, Dr. Bernard in their 60s. Um, I think Dr. Gregor's in his 40s. Um, but then you know, Esselstyn, Campbell, they're in their 80s. So it's it's time to help these guys out. You know, spread that message wider. It's pretty cool. Well, I will probably end it here because you're you're going to be one of my longer podcasts <laughs> which is fantastic um it was really fun talking to you and uh, my listeners i'm sure are going to say thank you but i do like to do one thing at the end of my podcast and i stole this from um lewis howe have you ever listened to his the, the, the school of greatness 
He's not nope. vegan. He should be. Um, but he's a really awesome podcast. They're very empowering, so I'd encourage people to listen to him as well. But um, what was really neat is he always does an affirmation or acknowledgement of his guest. And I just thought that, you know, that was so poignant because I think people who do this type of work oftentimes – you know, they'll get accolades or whatever from a few people, but just to say thank you, just to have someone say thank you is incredible. So I tell people, you know, so I would want to just say thank you for everything you're doing and going to do and all the lives that you're going to change. And um, I see some really cool things coming your way, and I think that's amazing, and I'm just happy to be a part of your journey. So thank you, and uh, I'm excited. I'm ho- I can't wait to hear, you know, even my listeners who you inspire. So. All right. Thank you so much. You're welcome. So, and uh, you have a great day. You too. See ya. Wait, wait. One sec. I'm here. I just turned off the recording. 